I speak to you this day in the name of God, Father, Son, Spirit. Amen. Good afternoon. I'm pleased, so pleased to be back here in the Bluff City. I grew up scarcely 90 minutes away across the river in God's country. Some of you will know of that as Arkansas, where the sun shines just a little brighter, the birds sing just a little louder. Now, I'm not a fool. Arkansas is not the Garden of Eden, but you can see it from there. When I was growing up, for my parents and I, my parents who are Memphis was the city. We were here often, riding the Zip and Pippin at Liberty Land, ice skating at the Mall of Memphis, attending the grand opening of Mud Island, and putting coins into the machines to receive those molded wax animals that are probably carcinogenic at the Memphis Zoo. I went to seminary and was ordained twice alongside my good friend, the Reverend Catherine Bush, who is here by this diocese, the Diocese of West Tennessee. And from 2003 until 2007, I lived and worked among some of the most faithful people I have ever known as the vicar and then rector of the Church of the Holy Apostles, now in Collierville. It is good to be back, and I thank the Reverend Scott Walters for the invitation. I'm here because, as Amber said, last year I wrote a book entitled In the Midst of the City, The Gospel and God's Politics. That book consists of a series of sermons and essays with a thematic intention. On the whole, the book attempts to offer a different interpretation of how Christian people should engage the body politic. See, I believe that most of us, most of the time, do so unfaithfully. If that is provocative, good. I'm hoping it's going to entice you to come back tonight for the second session at 6.30 p.m. I'm going to offer you a sermon from that book. It was first preached the Sunday after the death of First Lady Barbara Bush. Happened in Houston, Texas, where I now live and work, on April 17th of last year. Reminiscences of Mrs. Bush emphasized her gentility and her civility as well as for others. During her public life, Mrs. Bush worked tirelessly to alleviate illiteracy. She also extended care and understanding toward those with AIDS during a time when AIDS patients were shunned by much of society. So allow yourself then to travel back in time a year when the news of Mrs. Bush's death was still freshly on collective mind. On Monday, I wrote a sermon. I drafted it. I let it sit overnight. I worked on it some more, and then I let my wife, Jill, read it. She gave it the clergy spouse seal of approval for church. It was a pretty good sermon. As I always am, I was relieved when it was neatly printed and placed in the center of my desk. I'm fastidious like that. Late in the week, I deep-sixed it in the recycle bin. I'm preaching something different. Usually, I preach on the gospel. Occasionally, I'll preach on the Old Testament text. Almost never do I preach on the epistle. At three of our 
language services at the cathedral on Sunday, most weeks we don't even read the epistle. But last Sunday afternoon, when I read today's propers for the first time, dutifully read the epistle. And as the week wore on, it tightened its grip on me and it would not let go. I'll say more about that in a moment. And then on Tuesday evening, Barbara Bush died. I only met Mrs. Bush once and then only in passing. Her death ought not to have affected me beyond being a notable headline. Perhaps it was because so many broadcasters referred to Mrs. Bush as America's mom. I'm not sure. Regardless, as I pondered her gentility and her civility and her empathy for those around her, I began to loss of Barbara Bush me, allow a crude analogy, the way the loss of a white rhinoceros strikes me. Too few of them remaining. Another. I don't mean to idealize Mrs. Bush unrealistically. I'm told she could be a pistol in private. My deeper lament is for the state of our culture, which is for me. It seems to me that in our culture, our capacity for empathy is failing us. I'm not alone in that lament. Gary Olson, the author of Empathy in the World, Capitalism, Culture, and the Brain, says that our society increasingly, quote, displays an anesthetized conscience toward the suffering of others. Olson goes on to say that we hear the cries of all those in need around us, Quote, our moral sound waves are muted as they pass through powerful cultural baffles. That resonates with me. At every turn in our culture, it seems something discourages empathy. Politics is now so divisive with a vanishing sense of the common good. Officials elected to represent a constituency increasingly refuse to receive comments or concerns for political party as if they only represent those who voted for them. Sarcasm, vicious, biting sarcasm is the lingua franca of the day from politicians and late night television hosts and even in common conversation on the street or around the water cooler. Increasingly, people will malign anyone, irrespective of the cost to that person. As if zingers score some sort of cosmic points. The author Pete Bazalgette points to the unsympathetic internet as the drain down which our capacity for empathy is spiraling. Bazalgette says, quote, if you take the average working environment now, you spend most of your time not talking to people or even phoning them, but sending an email or a text. Without facial expressions or tone of voice, you're not aware of the impact of this. We see this bullying and revenge porn 
where people don't see the victims of their bad behavior. Gary Olson might agree that the internet is a contributor, but he believes the problem is much more pervasive. Olson says, quote, We've come to view ourselves, our identities, as based primarily on market values, especially only care about yourself and a few people close to you. One advances in our society via rugged self-reliance and you do and the media used to refer to the American public as citizens when was the last time I heard that now the term has been completely supplanted by consumers we approach this world by what use it is to us and too often the real lives of other people are to be avoided or overcome not empathized with. So what empathy? Well, I know of no better definition than Harper Lee's, placed on the lips of Atticus Finch and spoken to Scout and to kill a mockingbird. Atticus says to his young daughter, never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. When was the last time many of us truly and really did that? See, empathy is more than charity. It's more than sympathy. Empathy is more doing a kindness. Empathy is being vulnerable enough to see the world eyes and the experience of another. Empathy is an act of love. And that's why today's epistle lesson grabbed hold of me this week and wouldn't let go. Today we read from the first letter of John, which reveals to us just a few verses after this reading, that God is love. Note John's language carefully. John does not say that God loves. Loving is not a thing that God does, like brushing God's teeth or mowing the grass. John says that God is love. God is in God's very nature. God's character is love. God's passion is love. God's commitment to this world is love. God carried out the supreme act of empathy when God literally took Atticus Finch's advice. In Jesus, God climbed into our... ...with our confusion, our vulnerability, and our pain. So today, John says, we know love by this. That Jesus laid down His life for us. God's empathy becomes for us 
our model and calling. And not just because the world needs it. Remember, God, God's self is love. And John tells us that the way that we meet God and know God and deeply encounter God is through our acts of empathy and love. See, when we love, John says, when we love, God flows through us. John says, how do hide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love, not only in word or speech, but in truth and action. Why so often are we unable to do this? Why are we so susceptible to the anonymity of the internet or the consumerism of our culture as barriers between us and our fellow human beings? David Neosi, who blogs for Psychology Today, believes empathy has its roots in fear. Full of the world's cruelty. And of the things that we have being from us. The irony is, of course, that creates the very cruelty of which we are afraid. The irony is that without empathy, without the capacity to know and love our fellow human beings, we lose our relationships with them. And we lose, by definition, our relationship with the God who is love. In the novel, Beneath a Scarlet Sky, the priest, Father Ray, says to the teenager, Pino, who is afraid to help Italian Jews escape to Switzerland over the Alps, we can't stop loving our fellow man, Pino. Because we're frightened. If we lose love, all is lost. Earlier in 1 John, John says, We pass from death to life because we love one another. We pass from death to life because we love one another. Those are the truest words I know. If we lose, all is lost. So let us go from this place with the willingness to climb into one another's skin, to see through one another's eyes. And to allow the God who is greater than our hearts, swell those hearts with empathy and love.